Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Welcome back, my friends and loyal listeners. Welcome to my weird obsession. I recently fell down the rabbit hole again, listening to more Greek mythology. Theseus, the legendary king of Athens, has so much more story to tell. I'm trying to timeline everything, so I think I might bring him back up. Athens is related to Atlantis because it was reported to be the leader of the war against the Atlanteans. I have not forgotten my question. At what point was Athens strong enough to defeat a massive army of over a million people by land and by sea? For now though, I think I'm going to tell you about a little obsession the Greeks had about reincarnation and the afterlife. They were very obsessed about a utopia and what it meant to have an ideal society, especially during Plato's time. Plato wrote several books about what it meant to be as a perfect utopia. Part of that utopia was the ability to feed yourself with little work and living in an area where the earth provided all necessities of life. It sounds like not much has changed in the last 3,000 years. Esalem was the final resting place of the souls of heroes and virtuous men. The ancients often distinguished two Elysian realms, the islands of the blessed and the Lithian fields of Hades. The first of these, also known as the White Island or the Island of the Blessed, was an afterlife realm reserved for the heroes of myth. It was an island paradise located in the far western stream of the river Okeanos, ruled by the titan king Kronos, or Radamanthes, son of Zeus. If you ever wondered where the notion of soulmates and reincarnation came from, may your curiosity be clenched, as it was the ancient Greeks who invented it. I've been deep diving into Plato as of late to bring you the best possible information on context. The best example I can give would be the word virtue. In ancient Greek, virtue is arate, which has the root word for the meaning manliness. The word arate took on new meanings over time. Homeric society measured arate in dead bodies in sack cities. Pindar wrote poems about rich, handsome boys who displayed arate by winning foot races and stuff. In Plato's time, arate was a characteristic one shared with one's friends, as opposed to your enemies. Today, being virtuous is being chaste and helping those who are in need, while maintaining a truthful tongue and showing respect. Word meanings evolve over time. So what did Plato mean when he said it? And what was a perfect society? As always, my sources are linked in my episode description. The ancient Greeks, just like modern day humans, pondered the question, what happens when you die? If you just said, oh, that's easy, you go see Hades, well, that is one of the many places you can go. 
I brought up Arcadia a couple of episodes back as a mythical place known for its landscape with steep mountains, lush and untouched wilderness, forests of many kind, mossy rocks, fresh springs and rivers, colorful flowers, and abundant vegetation of various plants. In mythology, Arcadia was a mysterious place, full of mythological creatures living in it, such as nymphs or nature spirits, dryads or tree spirits, centaurs or half-human, half-horse warriors, and other non-human beings, including several gods and goddesses. One of them was thought to be Pan, the god of the wilderness, nature, shepherds, and flocks. But it was believed to be the home of Hermes, the god of thieves and messenger of the other gods as well. I'm sure you remember King Lycaon, who was turned into a wolf by Zeus and ultimately enraged Zeus enough to call forth a great deluge. Well, King Lycaon had a daughter named Callisto. Callisto was a priestess of Artemis, and one day, Zeus disguised himself as Artemis while she was away and impregnated Callisto, either willingly or not, depending on the sources. Artemis came back from her hunting trip and found Callisto with a swollen belly. Artemis became enraged and kicked Callisto out of her temple, as she had taken a vow of chastity, and her swelling belly proved she broke it. As Callisto's belly grew, she turned into a bear, either by Zeus to hide his misdeed from Hera, or from Artemis for breaking her vow, or by Hera herself for sleeping with her husband. Three different stories, three different outcomes, but ultimately, she was turned into a bear. Callisto gave birth to a baby boy, and Zeus took the child to be raised by Maia, one of the Pleiades. Callisto was killed, either by Artemis during a hunt, or by Arcus, her son, once he grew up. After her death, she was placed in the stars and is known as Ursa Major, or the Big Bear. Once her son died, he was placed next to her in the stars, becoming Ursa Minor, or the Little Bear. Before Arcus died, he became a king of a land that he named after himself, Arcadia. There, Arcus safely lived until one day, during one of the court feasts held by King Lycaon, Arcus was placed upon a burning altar as a sacrifice to the gods. He then said to Zeus, If you think you are so clever, make your son whole and unharmed. Zeus became enraged and made Arcus whole and directed his anger towards Lycaon, turning him into a werewolf. The real-life Arcadia in Greece is also a place that mostly separated from the rest of the land with tall, continuous ranges of mountains, which could easily serve as a base for such mystical stories. To be born and kept alive over many centuries. Throughout ancient history, Arcadia was often difficult to invade and conquer due to its location and unique landscape. To the Elysian Plain, where life is easiest for men. No snow is there, nor heavy storm, nor ever any rain, 
But ever does ocean send up a blast of shrill-blowing west wind that they may give cooling to men. That was Homer in the Odyssey. And they live untouched by sorrow in the lands of the blessed, along the shore of deep-swirling ocean. Happy heroes, for whom the grain-giving earth bears honey-sweet fruit flourishing thrice a year, far from the deathless gods, and Kronos rolls over them. That was Hesiod in the works and days. The good receive a life free from toil, not scraping with the strength of their arms the earth nor the water of the sea for the sake of poor sustenance, but in the presence of the honored gods who gladly kept their oaths, enjoying a life without tears, while the others undergo a toil that is unbearable to look at. Those who have persevered three times on either side to keep their souls free of all wrongdoing follow Zeus's road to the end, to the Tower of Kronos, where ocean breezes blow around the island of the blessed, and the flowers of gold are blazing, some from splendid trees on land, while water nurtures others. With these wreaths and garlands of flowers, they intertwine their hands according to righteous counsels of Radamanthes, whom the great father, the husband of Rhea, whose throne is above all others, keeps close beside him as his partner. That was Pindar and the Odes. These are two in number, separated by a very narrow strait. They are 10,000 furlongs distant from Africa and are called the Islands of the Blessed. They enjoy moderate rains at long intervals and winds, which for the most part are soft and precipitate dews, so that the islands not only have a rich soil, which is excellent for plowing and planting, but also produce a natural fruit that is plentiful and wholesome enough to feed, without toil or trouble, a leisured folk. Moreover, an air that is salubrious, owing to the climate and the moderate changes in the seasons, prevails on the islands. For the north and the east winds, which blow out from the part of the world, plunge into fathomless space, and, owing to the distance, dissipate themselves and lose their power before they reach the islands while the south and the west winds that envelop the islands sometimes bring in their train soft and intermittent showers, but for the most part cool them with moist breezes and, and gently nourish the soil. Therefore, a firm belief has made its way even to the barbarians that here is the Elysian field and the abode of the blessed of which Homer sang. That was Plutarch in life of Sertorius. In Dante's epic, The Divine Comedy, Elysium is mentioned as an abode of the blessed in the lower world, mentioned in connection with the meeting of Aeneas with the shade of Anacheses in the Elysian fields. With such affection did Anacheses' shade reach out, if our greatest muse is owed belief, when Elysium he knew his son. Flavius Philosophus in the life of Apollonius of Tanea says, And they say that the island of the blessed are to be fixed by the limits of Libya, 
where they raise towards the uninhabited promontory. In this geography, Libya was considered to extend westward through Mauritania, as far as the mouth of the river Salix, some 900 stadia, and beyond that point, further distance, which no one can compute, because when you have passed this river, Libya is a desert, which no longer supports a population. Plutarch refers to the quote-unquote fortunate isles several times in his writings, locates them firmly in the Atlantic in his Vita of Sitorius. Sitorius, when struggling against a chaotic civil war in the closing years of the Roman Republic, had tidings from mariners of certain islands a few days sail from Hispania. And here's what they say. Where the air was never extreme, which for rain had little silver dew, which itself, and without labor, bore all pleasant fruits to their happy dwellers, till it seemed to him that these could be no other than the fortunate islands, the Elysian fields. Now what I find interesting is that the Blessed Isles or the Fortunate Isles can be found on older maps and they're known today as the Canary Islands. There is one thing that we can be sure of is that during Plato's time they would have been able to identify them as not Atlantis. Remember, to the ancients there was nothing beyond the Pillars of Heracles. The Canary Islands would have been at the edge of the world and a place so disconnected from the rest of the world, it would only be suitable for those who have passed from this world. The fact that we have Kronos as the father of the Fortunate Isles mirrors what was said about Diodorus' account of the Atlanteans. As a reminder, here's Diodorus. After the death of Hyperion, the kingdom was divided among the sons of Uranus. The most renowned of them were Atlas and Kronos. Of these sons, Atlas received as his part of the regions on the coast of the ocean, and he not only gave the name of the Antians to his peoples, but likewise called the greatest mountain in the land, Atlas. According to Greek mythology, the islands were reserved for those who had been chosen to be reincarnated three times, and managed to be judged as especially pure enough to gain entrance to the Elysian fields all three times. A feature of the Fortunate Islands is the connection with the god Kronos. The cold of Kronos had spread and connected to Sicily in particular in the area near Agrinto, where it was revered and some areas associated with the cult of the Phoenician god Baal. Ptolemy used these islands as reference for the measurement of geographical longitude and they continue to play a role of defining the prime meridian throughout the Middle Ages. It should be noted that Elysium was an evolving concept. Homer knew of no such realm and consigned all of his heroes to the common house of Hades, while Hesiod and many other poets speak only of a paradisial realm exclusive to reserved for the heroes. Roman writers such as Virgil combine the two, Elysia, the realm of the virtuous dead, and the realm of heroes being one and the same. A few late Greek writers attempted to rationalize the myth and identify the mythical white island with one near the mouth of the river Danube and the Black Sea and the islands of the blessed with the certain islands in the Atlantic Ocean. 
The Isle of the Blessed, located by the Black Sea, is known today as Snake Island. Snake Island was on the news as of late for being occupied by Russian forces and then overthrown by Ukrainian forces. It was also reported that the temple dedicated to Achilles was erected there. The terms Elysium and Hades were adjectives rather than nouns in ancient Greek language. For example, Pirion Elysion, or the Elysian Plain, and Domos Hedu, the House of Hades. The etymology of the word Elysion is unclear and may be derived from the Greek verb Elysio, meaning to relieve or release from pain or troubles, or was perhaps derived from the name of the town Eleusius, the site of the celebrated Eleusian Mysteries. Mystery religions, such as the Eleusian Mysteries, would need another episode to explain, and I'm not sure how much these religions intertwine with Atlantis. If you want to learn more, I've linked a YouTube video from Dr. Professor Hughes explaining mystery religions in a much easier to understand way than I could possibly do. For now, I'll leave you with something to think about. Do you remember when I told you this? The cult of Kronos spread and connected to Sicily, in particular in the area of Agarinto, where it was revered and in some places associated with the cult of the Phoenician god Baal. While the Eleusian mysteries are the most famous of the secret religion rites of ancient Greece, their basis was an old Agarian cult. Well, Agarianism is a political and social philosophy that is promoted subsistence agriculture, small holdings, and egalitarianism with Agarian political parties normally supporting the rights and sustainability of small farmers and poor peasants against the wealthy in society. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9pm. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you, it's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Was born in the year 470 BCE and died in 399 BCE. He was a Greek philosopher from Athens and died by ingesting hemlock after being found guilty by trial for two charges. The charges were impiety against the pantheon of Athens and corruption of the youth of the city-state. The accusers cited two impious acts by Socrates, failing to acknowledge the gods that the city acknowledges, and introducing new deities. He is credited as the founder of Western philosophy and among the first moral philosophers of ethical tradition of thought. Socrates authored no texts and is known mainly through posthumous accounts of classical writers, particularly his students Plato and Xenophon. These accounts are written as dialogues in which Socrates and his interlocutors examine a subject 
in the style of question and answer that gave rise to the Socratic dialogue literary genre.